Father, we, we do acknowledge that our hearts are prone to wander. God, in life in general, our hearts are prone to wander away from you and to other things, to desire things in a way that we should desire you and don't. Father, even in a moment like this, our hearts and minds could wander far from this place. So Lord, I ask that you would cause our hearts to be held fast by your spirit as we study your word, that we would see Jesus above all things and that we would desire Jesus above all things. So Father, as we study this next passage in Mark, I'm asking that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Teach us what there is to learn more than I would ever be able to say. Father, teach us your word today. And Lord, not only for us, I pray that you would be with our partners in the gospel in this community, our brothers and sisters who are a part of other churches like this. Today, I pray for Pastor Bob Arthur, pastor at Merritt Assembly of God. Thank you for Bob and his faithful service in this community for so many years. Thank you for his radio program that I know he pours a lot of time and energy into producing, Father, to make the word of God known to people in this community. Bless Bob today. Bless our brothers and sisters that are part of Merit Assembly of God. And Father, I pray that not only would they be filled with your spirit as they gather, I pray that they would be filled with the life of Jesus as they scatter on mission in this community. Bless our brothers and sisters who are gathering in churches like this, in this community and around the world today. But we love you and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We are continuing our series here, a verse-by-verse study of the gospel of Mark. Just want to remind you, uh, if you've been a part of the study or just inform you if you've not been a part of the study, where we are in this section of the gospel of Mark is the final week of Christ's ministry on his journey to the cross. It's Tuesday of that week. And we've seen Jesus come into the city of Jerusalem. In particular, he's come into the temple to confront the hypocrisy and the spiritual corruption that had become rampant in the city of Jerusalem. That's really been the focus of the last two chapters. We've seen Jesus turn over the money changers' tables and get into a series of conversations slash debate that exposed the wicked hearts of the religious leaders of Israel. And just when you think, having gone through this whole sequence that we've been in for nearly six weeks, it seems as though everyone at the temple in Jerusalem must have been a religious hypocrite, Mark closes with this final scene. And this final scene highlights an authentic worshiper of Almighty God. And she isn't anything like the religious elite. She isn't influential, she isn't powerful, she isn't a man, she's a poor widow woman who gives a tiny offering that would have gone completely unnoticed by everyone. Well, everyone but Jesus. Because what we'll see is that Jesus sees her and he loves her and he loves her gift 
of worship. And in, in this final scene here in the temple, Jesus actually holds this widow up as an example of the kind of worship that honors God and pleases Jesus. And he teaches his disciples and us in turn lessons from this poor widow's offering that serve as a lesson for us on what it looks like to be genuine in our generosity, to give in a way that honors God and pleases Jesus. And so look with me at our next text in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 12, we'll be reading verses 41 through 44. Verse 41 says this, And he, meaning Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which together make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had to give, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for us this morning. After Jesus has confronted the religious hypocrisy at the temple, he pulls up a chair across from the treasury. Now, the treasury was the place in the temple where giving occurred. It was in a section of the temple that was known as the women's court. And that court for women wasn't exclusively for women. It was just the furthest point in the temple where women were allowed to go because all of the leaders and all of the primary worshipers in a sense were men in this culture. Well, this woman comes to the court of women and she encounters the treasury where the people of God were allowed to give, and she gives in her offering. Well, her, her offering there is given into a box. There were 13 boxes that were there in the treasury, in the court of the women, for the people of God to give their offerings to God. Those boxes were shaped kind of uniquely. They had a horn or a trumpet shape where it was kind of like a funnel that people could put their, their, their offerings into and it would go down into a box. I actually gave you an artist rendering here. You see that funnel uh, on the top? You guys see that? Yeah, it's, that, that was the precursor to those big plastic funnels at the mall. If you put a shekel in it, scholars say it would roll around and around until it finally went to the bottom. But that's just you know, some scholarship there for you. But since the offerings were metal coins... Going into a big box like that with a horn attached to the top of it, what do you think happened when they dropped their offerings in? It made a lot of noise that would echo throughout the temple. And our text says that lots of really rich people put in really large sums into that box. Here's what that means. The sound of their offerings reverberated throughout the temple. And subsequently brought a lot of attention to themselves as the sound of their money came out of the trumpet-like funnel out of the top of the box. But then a poor widow woman shows up and all she has to give are two small coins that together add up to a penny. Now what you need to know is that the rabbis of Jesus' day had made a rule that no one was allowed to give an offering less than a penny. You couldn't just give one of these coins. They felt like you should at least save up two of these coins because it was too much work to just go around handling that small of an amount of money to be worth it. So she literally gives the smallest offering that anyone is allowed to make. 
And it just so happens that her small gift was all the money she had to her name. Her two little coins made almost no noise in the temple. But the sound of her offering reverberates in the heart of Jesus. He calls his disciples over. He draws their attention to this tiny gift from this poor widow. And what does he say? He says, she has just given more than all of the rich people combined. Though her all was small, it was great in the eyes of Jesus. And wouldn't you love to have Jesus feel that way about your giving? As I was meditating over this passage, I, I couldn't help but envision Jesus as he watches all of the, the fake, self-righteous people who are giving their big gifts for their own glory while he's grieved by the whole charade until he sees this poverty-stricken widow make her way through the crowd and his heart begins to swell with joy at what he sees when she drops her two small little coins into the offering box. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to feel that way about your giving? Well, here's the good news. Jesus does feel that way about your giving. When it comes from the same heart as this widow woman, You see, genuine generosity that pleases Jesus isn't about the amount of our gift. That's one of the points that Jesus is making. It's about the condition of our hearts. And as I prayed over this text this week in preparation for this morning, there were several things that jumped out to me about this widow's gift and the heart behind her generosity. And I want to share them with you in the form of our big idea. Then we'll go back through and unpack them one at a time. Here's the big idea for today. Giving that pleases Jesus flows from a heart of faith, sacrifice, and worship. Giving that pleases Jesus flows from a heart of faith, sacrifice, and worship. Listen, friend, it literally does not matter how much money you have. Whether you're the richest or the poorest person in this room, your giving can be as pleasing to Jesus as this impact filled gift of this poor widow woman. It's a matter of your heart, not your bank account. You see, the Bible isn't against us having money, making lots of money, even having nice things. The call of Christ isn't a call to poverty. It's a call to yield our hearts and lives to Jesus as he transforms them into something that resembles the heart of this widow woman. When you give from a heart of faith and sacrifice Worship, listen, your giving brings great joy to the heart of Jesus. So let's do this. Let's walk through those big ideas and I'll show you where I see these three descriptions of genuine generosity in our text. The kind of giving that pleases Jesus. Number one, giving that pleases Jesus flows from a heart of faith. Let's read verses 43 and 44 again. It says, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. Now notice this phrase, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. We've covered this. The widow only has these two coins to her name. That's it. And Jesus says, it's all she had to live on. So one of the questions that came to my mind is this, wouldn't she be depending 
on those two coins for her next meal? That's all that she has. Wouldn't she be depending on those two coins for her next meal? I mean, what would enable her to give away the only money that she has to buy her next meal? Well, let's think through this for just a moment. She's clearly a devoted Jewish worshiper. That's why she's at the temple. That's why she's giving this gift. Like, like, like this widow, any devoted Jewish worshiper would have known significant truths out of the old story, out of the Old Testament. She would have known the story of Ruth and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi, two widows who put their lives in the care of Almighty God and were miraculously provided for by God. The widow in our story would have known the story of the widow in 1 Kings 17 who gave all that she had to live on to the prophet of God. And every day as a result, God miraculously supplied just enough oil and flour for her to make bread for herself and her son. The widow in our story would have also known about the widow in 2 Kings chapter 4, whose husband died and left her with a crippling debt. She turned to the Lord and he miraculously provided a way for her to pay off her debt so she and her two sons could survive. On top of those stories... The widow would have also known that the Old Testament is filled with God's promises to care for widows. He made a commitment to care for widows in verses like Psalm 68, verse 5. The Bible says, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Deuteronomy ten eighteen says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. The widow in our story would have known God has promised to take care of widows who trust in him. He's promised to take care of everyone who trusts in him. Just as an aside, church, One of the things this means is that if we're going to have a heart that reflects the heart of God, we have to be as a church committed to the things God is committed to. And that includes caring for our widows. And I just want to celebrate how the deacons of our church over the last five, six, seven years have really deepened their commitment to care for and serve the widows of this church family. As a matter of fact, they have continuously striven to care for widows in more and more practical ways. And one of the ways they're doing that in this season is they're making a commitment to serve you as a church, to enable you to be a part of serving our widows. We're learning on a monthly basis of new needs that our widows have, many of them physical needs around their home. And our deacons are, 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 are programming and making it possible for us to meet the most basic needs of hundreds of widows in our church family, in our community. And if you want to be a part of that, there's a table in the foyer. It's called Servants Serving Servants. Servants being our deacons, serving you as servants to the widows so you can reflect the heart of God. I want to encourage you to stop by that table, talk to some of our deacons and find out how we are seeking to reflect God's heart. As a commitment to the widows. Commercial is over. Let's get back to the sermon and our widow in the story. She would have known this commitment of the heart of God that he promised to take care of widows. She would have known the stories of actual widows who took God up on his word and that he had a perfect record of faithfully caring for his people. And with that in mind, 
Let's revisit the question I asked just a couple minutes ago. Wouldn't she be depending on those two coins for her next meal? The answer is no. She was depending on something else. Someone else. Who was she depending on? God, not money. She, she was depending on God, not money, to provide her every need. And in that way, her giving was an act of faith, saying, God, I am trusting in you, not these two coins. And do you know, that's always the heart behind genuine kingdom generosity. Every, every good work, every good work that is pleasing to Jesus comes from the heart of faith or it isn't a good work. Do you want some Bible to back that up? Romans chapter 14, 23 says this, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Listen, church, giving that pleases Jesus is always an expression of faith in the promise and provision of God. Do you know what that means? It means that our lack of giving is an issue of faith and not finances. It's never a fact that we can't afford to give. It's actually that we won't believe that God will supply our needs. I want you to hear what the promise of God is from 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9 says this, verses 10 and 11. He, speaking of God, who supplies seed. That's a reference actually to finances. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The word of God promises that when we see our finances not as something to be hoarded and stored for our own wealth and richness, but to be stewarded for the kingdom work of God, that his name would be made and we sow that into God's work, into his spiritual harvest, God makes a promise. You will always have more seed to sow because he will fill that seed back up. And here's the question. Do you believe that's true? But really the question is, do you give like you believe that's true? Giving that pleases Jesus flows from a heart of faith. And that brings us to the second thing. Giving that pleases Jesus flows from a heart of sacrifice. Look at verse 44 again. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You see there, Jesus contrasts two different types of giving. There's the giving of the rich people. There's the giving of this widow. And he says, those who were rich gave out of their, what's that word? Abundance. In other words, here's the Greek word. They gave out of their leftovers. They gave in a way that meant they wouldn't miss what they had already given. Because it was a leftover. It was abundance. It wasn't something they would miss. In other words, there wasn't a sacrifice involved. Jesus says it was a contribution, right? A contribution, not a sacrifice. You guys know the difference between a contribution and a sacrifice, right? Well, I got a story that'll share the point. One day, 
a chicken and a pig were talking about how their dear old farmer had fallen on hard financial times. During the conversation, the pig said, you know, I think we should start a business together to make some money. I think that would maybe help the farmer make ends meet. And the chicken said, said, man, that's a really good idea, pig. But none of them could figure out what kind of business a chicken and a pig could go into together. So they thought for a few minutes and finally the chicken said, hey pig, I've got it. I know a business that we could go in together. And the pig said, I can't wait to hear about it because I can't think of anything that a pig and a chicken could do to make money together. What is it? To which the chicken responded, we could go into the bacon and eggs business. (laughs) And the pig thought for a minute and said, you know, I don't think that's quite fair. And the chicken said, why? And the pig said, You'd only be making a contribution, but I'd be making a sacrifice. There's a difference, right? I think you get the point. There's a big difference between a contribution and a sacrifice. And in our text, we find Jesus is pleased with a sacrifice. That actually becomes a whole new frame of reference for us as followers of Jesus committed to give to the kingdom work of Christ. What I mean by that is many of us learned about financial stewardship through the concept of a tithe or a tenth of our income. And I want you to know, I believe that the tithe is a starting place for biblical generosity and stewardship. And I want to encourage you, if you're not tithing uh, of your income to the Lord, would you start taking steps of faith? It's like this widow to begin tithing in your income to the Lord. It's one of the things God calls his people to in the scriptures. But when you get to the New Testament, one of the things you find strangely missing is the word tithe. It's just not mentioned very much in the New Testament. Only a couple of references. What you do find is not that the standard is is tithing or lower than. What you find in the New Testament is that the standard has been raised to words like sacrifice. Something beyond just a percentage of 10%. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8. It's not just in our story in Mark 12. It's in 2 Corinthians 8. It says, verse 1 through 3, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means... Of their own accord. Do you see that the model for giving in the New Testament isn't primarily the tithe? We don't know what percentage these individuals gave. What we do know is that they gave in their means and even beyond it. What, what we know is they gave a sacrificial gift. And here's the reality for us, guys. For us in 21st century America, even with inflation, many of us can give 10% of our income out of abundance without it being a sacrifice. And I think it begs the question for us, all of us, is our giving a contribution or a sacrifice? And before I go on, I was praying about this and I want you to know how your pastors praise God for you. Because we have story after story of people in this room who give countless people who give out of sacrifice in their own lives. There are widows in this room today who live on fixed incomes that have not kept up even close with inflation. Yet they give regularly to the Lord, not to me, 
They give to the Lord, not to our pastors. They give to the Lord. Why? Because they believe in him and they trust in him and they sacrificially give to Jesus. And I believe Jesus sees and I believe Jesus is pleased. There are people in this room who drive used cars instead of getting new ones. So they can give those car payments sacrificially to the Lord. And I believe Jesus sees and is pleased. There are people in this room who have delayed their own retirement so they could continue to give generously to the Lord. And Jesus sees and is pleased. There are people in this room who don't go to Starbucks. They brew their own coffee at home so they could give that sacrificial money to the Lord. If more of us did that, we could pay off our mortgage by the end of the year. (laughs) Starbucks isn't cheap. So how might the Lord be stirring you to join brothers and sisters who don't make contributions? They make sacrifices because they believe Jesus is worth it. Would you pray for him to stir your heart in that? That actually brings us to the last heart of giving or indicator of a generous heart. Giving that pleases Jesus flows not only from a heart of faith and sacrifice, but a heart of worship. One of the primary things this passage of scripture does here at the end of chapter 12 is it provides a contrast to all of the hypocrisy and all of the greed that had corrupted the temple at Jerusalem. Worship was no longer worship because greed and spiritual corruption had taken root and Jesus is confronting it. And our text is a contrast to that. Matter of fact, look at the verses just before our text. Verses 38 through 40 says this, in his teaching, he, Jesus said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. You see what that text is about? It's about religious hypocrites who don't worship God, they worship themselves. They didn't come to the temple to honor God. They came to the temple so other people could honor them. They liked the clinging sound of their big offering in the offering boxes. And our widow provides contrast to that false worship by being an authentic worshiper. She came with a heart that understood what the temple was all about. What was the temple all about? It was about God and his glory and how worthy he is of worship. Her gift was an expression of that kind of heart, a heart that treasured God above her money. So what did she do? She gave it all. You know why? Because God is deserving of all. And that's always the heart of God honoring worship. It's that you see what we treasure most. That's actually why Jesus says what he says in Matthew chapter six, a verse many of us have heard. 624 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You don't need a preacher to explain what that means. It means you cannot serve God and money. It'll be one or the other. Because our hearts will always hang on to what we value most. And it's all that money is. Have you ever thought about that? It's just a way that we designate value to something. For instance, if I told you that I would sell you my car for a million dollars, 
I would be surprised if any of you would take me up on the offer. But just in case, I'll be down front at the close of the service, and I would be glad to talk about that kind of deal. You know, you know why I would be surprised if anyone wanted to buy my car for a million bucks? Because it isn't worth a million bucks. It's not worth it. One of the ways we designate the value of something is we begin to assign monetary value in comparison to other things. My car is not worth a million dollars. It doesn't have that kind of monetary value. And here's what we need to know. Deep in our hearts, what Jesus is exposing in Matthew 6 about treasuring God or money, but you can't do both. And what we're seeing in the life of this widow where she comes in worship and values God and worship to him more than these two coins, all that she had is the deep within our hearts, guys, we see there's always something we treasure the most. So Jesus says that the conversation about money, guys, it actually boils down to what we most deeply love. Is it God or money and the stuff we'll buy with it? That's why the only way to honor God with our giving is for it to actually be an act of worship that values God more than money. If we give because we think God needs our money, we are way off base. He's doing just fine financially, guys. He doesn't need our money. And we're, we're way off and have wrong motives and a terrible view of God if we give because we think he needs our money. If we give out of guilt and shame. We're way off base and we're giving for the wrong reason and with a terrible view of God. He gives us grace, not because we give him money, but because he is gracious and merciful. We don't have guilt and shame attached to giving. If we give out of love, guys, our hearts that are captured by Jesus and filled with all, we don't have to be told to give to his cause. You know why? Because his cause will be the cause that is nearest and dearest to our hearts. It's an issue of love. It's a cause of worship. That's what's at the heart of genuine worship. You know, when my kids were small, uh, they would sometimes grab a hold of something that Emily and I didn't want them to have. Any of your kids ever do that? Well, sorry, mine aren't perfect. So they grabbed hold of things they weren't supposed to have. You know, one of the most surprising things for me as a parent was the discovery that a six month old child has the same grip strength as a lowland mountain gorilla. I mean, really, scientifically proven. Google it. It was a full day's work for me to try and wrestle a plastic fork out of my six month old child. They had a kung fu like grip. Do you guys want to know the secret, though, of getting a six-month-old with superhuman grip strength to let go of something they have? You want to know the secret? Show them something they'll want more. Find their favorite toy. Find their favorite blanket. Find their favorite food. Let them see it. They'll drop everything for what they love the most. Do you know in a real way, we never actually grow out of that? We're always willing to drop everything for what we love the most. Now oh, that Jesus, church, oh, that Jesus would be our deepest love. That we would be so in awe of Christ that we would gladly drop everything for him. And I know that this is a room full of people who actually don't 
They don't dread the annual sermon on giving because you love Jesus. It's one of the reasons why we don't have to talk about it really around here very often at all other than to keep you informed of what's going on is because your hearts, I know, have been captured by Jesus. And that's why this passage actually for us today, many of us who who are genuinely generous, many of you who are a part of what God's doing in kingdom work, financially a part of that, this passage is so much more than money. It's, It's for rich, it's for poor, it's for old, it's for young, it's for those who have incomes and those who don't have any income at all. Because this is actually a text about someone who laid down everything Everything is an act of faith-filled, sacrificial worship. It's about someone who held nothing back, nothing back, but laid their whole life down before the Father and said, your will, not mine, be done. I trust you, God, you have it all. Guys, that's, that's, that's why this passage is the capstone to this whole section Because this has been a scene after scene after scene succession of religious leaders who refuse to bow before the Lord. They refuse to let go of their way of doing life. They refuse to let go of their own honor and glory. And here she comes as the picture of a heart that pleases Jesus. Why? Because she is a person who lays it all down because she wants something more, namely the Lord himself. So my question for you this morning is what would it look like for you today to lay your whole life down before the Lord and say, your will, not mine be done. But if you let go of your treasure and your talents and your time and your dreams and your plans. And you said, they're all yours, Jesus. It all belongs to you. The heart of faith-filled worship and sacrifice is a heart that lays it all down. And that brings me, really, this is the final thing for a couple minutes to consider here. Just think about what's going on, guys. Jesus is watching this widow give all that she had as an offering to God. And as he hears these two small coins fall into the offering block box, it, it, it wouldn't have been lost on him that her gift was a small echo of the offering he was about to make, right? At the cross, where Jesus was headed from the temple to the cross, Jesus would give his life all that he was in our place as a sacrifice for our sin. He gave all that he had to you so that he could live his life through you as you would trust in him. That's the most great and generous giver in the history of the world. Isn't this widow woman, it's Jesus himself watching this widow woman. Though he was rich, he made himself poor. Though he's the author of life, he submitted to death. Though he's perfect and sinless, he became the sacrifice for our sin. And he not only gave his life for us, guys, he will live that kind of life through us as we trust in him. Here's what that means. It means that before we look at our wallets, on a sermon of giving, we need to look at our hearts and realize What we most need isn't something we give to Jesus. It's something Jesus gives to us. Namely himself. His life, his righteousness, his goodness. 
That we would bow before Jesus and say, Jesus, be Jesus in me. Live your life in me. Make me like you. And when Jesus is Jesus in us, we don't have to worry about any other thing because Jesus is the giver. And he will give to us and through us. And so as we close this morning, I just want to encourage us to respond to this truth in our text in a couple ways. Number one, and first and foremost, trust in Jesus. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the greatest gift that's ever been given isn't a gift we give to Christ. It's the gift he gives to us himself, forgiveness, restoration to God as our father and eternal life forevermore. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm going to be down front with the rest of our pastors at the close of this service. Do not leave this place without knowing Jesus as your Lord and savior and receiving the gift of Christ's life. For those of you that are following after Jesus, my question is how might Christ be stirring you to take one more step into faith-filled, sacrificial worship that is giving? I know we don't talk about this much here, but it's good to talk about sometimes. God's called us to be a part of what he's doing. And it looks like giving. It looks like generosity. Uh, There are a couple practical things We have people here who give online because I know that there are some people who come for four, five, six weeks and they never hear us talk about giving so they don't actually know how to give. You can give online. Go to our website. You can give in person. Here, there are boxes. Uh, They don't have horns on the the top of them, but we're we're adjusting them this week so they'll be more biblical. There's boxes that are at the entrances to this room in our Main Street area. You could come by the church office, drop it off through the week. You can mail it in. There are multiple ways to give. Some people give recurring gifts that come through their, their, their paychecks. They just want that automatically withdrawn. There are many different ways to give. Lots of practicalities. But there's really only one heart. Faith, sacrifice, worship. Is that your heart? Is that your gift today? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, even now I want to encourage you, would you call on Jesus to save you? As we reflect on this passage, would you reflect on the gift of Christ? And just call on Jesus, acknowledging That while you have sinned and you can't make yourself right with God, that's why he gave us Jesus. To do for you, through his life and death and resurrection, what only he could do for you. Would you call on Jesus to save you? Trust in him today. For those of you who are trusting in Christ, how is he calling you to take one more step into following him in the life that he will empower? A life that in this regard, looks like genuine generosity. Would you, by faith, follow after Christ's leadership and how he's calling you to give and be a generous person? And is there anything in your life, not just financial, maybe it's a relationship, a decision, maybe it's your plans, that you are struggling to, with, to let go of, or that you're withholding. This morning, would you lay that down before Christ and say, Jesus, my whole life belongs to you.
Your will, not mine, be done. Father, we thank you for Christ. We praise you for his great gift of himself. And not only did he give his life for us, he will give his life to us in resurrection power as we trust in him. And so, Lord, I pray that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus today. Lord, I thank you for this poor widow woman who thousands of years later is having an impact in our life, in your kingdom. Thank you for how you take our small little lives and use them by your great and gracious power. So Father, be glorified in us today and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.